name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter before I begin to talk about it. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your heart regard Christ the Lord as as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Let me begin by asking you a question this morning. Are you prepared to suffer for Jesus? Now, even as I ask the question, I honestly believe it's an unanswerable question for us this morning. I don't think we really can answer that question until we find ourselves in the crucible of suffering, until we find ourselves in the crosshairs of of being made to suffer. John Piper says it's a strange question to ask ourselves anyway. He notes Christianity was born in a world of totalitarianism. It was not a strange thing to be persecuted. What is strange historically is that we are not. Now, I've told you all that many times, that we as Americans for the last 300 years or so, we've lived in this bubble, this Christian bubble that has protected uh, us. But for the first 300 years of the Christian church, they were part of the Roman Empire with absolutely no protection whatsoever. And to become a follower of Jesus was really to risk everything. Is there children's church? Are y'all going to say, sorry about that. Children's church, if you want to go to children's church, (laughs) sorry. I still got to get used to everything again. Uh, To become a follower of Jesus in the first few hundred years of of the church, there was, uh, was, you risked everything to become a follower of Jesus. And that's true And that's true in many parts of the world still today. In fact, every week, listen, every week in my inbox comes a message from Voice of the Martyrs and the Open Doors Ministry. And and I I get this, I haven't stopped it from coming because I don't want to stop it from coming, although it's just all the time. And in their emails, there are just story after story of believer who is 
beaten for Christ, lost their life for Christ, lost their job, lost everything because they followed Jesus. Let me just give you a couple of examples. On October 7th, Somaliland police announced at a press conference the arrest of a Christian couple. On October 5th, according to the police, the couple was, was arrested for being, and I quote, apostates and evangelists, and evangelists spreading Christianity. On October 7th, the pastor of Tawang Revival Church, Pastor Joseph Singi, was arrested by the police in Tawang for allegedly constructing an illegal church. He was released on bail, but that controversy still continues. According to the Morningstar News, radical Fulani militants have killed multiple Christians in Nigeria's Plateau and Kudana states. Among the victims were a six-year-old Christian boy. On September 28th in the Miango district, Fulani militants killed three children, a six-year-old boy named Emmanuel David. Four days before that, they had killed five men, including a church leader from the Church of Christ in National. And, and I could go on. There's a story after story after story of believers who it cost them to follow Jesus. But I want to ask us again this morning, and again, it's rhetorical, and I'm not even sure we can honestly answer it, but are you prepared to really suffer for following Jesus? Um, I'm asking the question because not that I think in our lifetime we will be called to suffer for Jesus as Western believers as many around the world are. I'm not saying that. But I, I do hope that just by asking the question, we might, it might just plant a seed in the back of our heart, in the back of our mind, even that if I ever am called to suffer, how will I respond to that? Well, in our text this morning, Peter is going to switch gears a little bit and to talk about suffering. If you remember at the beginning of our study, we talked about how, you know, Peter has a lot to say to these believers who are scattered all throughout what we would call Turkey today. And he's writing them, but as he instructs them and gives them hope, etc., this is called the, the epistle of hope. As he gives them hope, there's also underlying all of this, 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 this truth that we're going to have to suffer. You're going to suffer as believers. So there's this interwoven theme of suffering all throughout the book of 1 Peter. So now Peter again turns his attention to suffering, even though he's talked about how we need to live this exemplary life so that people will see Christ in us. And remember the one specific that he was, that he was noting in the last couple of weeks of our study anyway has been submission and how we're to submit to authorities. And then last week it was how do we submit within the context of the family. Before that, how we submit in the context context of, of being a slave, if we were a slave in that generation. We talked, about, we talked about business today. But now he changes gears. He's not talking about that anymore. He's talking about suffering. And as he begins to talk about suffering in the verses that follow, beginning in verse 13, he tells us that there's going to be two possibilities when it comes to suffering in this hostile world in which we live. Here's the first one. The first possibility is that we won't suffer at all. Verse 13, who then will harm you if you are devoted what is, to what is good? Remember, he's been calling us to do what is good so that people will note it and see it and follow Jesus. He said, who's going to harm you if you're following good? And the rhetorical answer that, he, you know, that he's obviously looking for is that no one. No one, if you're doing good in the sight of God and man, you should have absolutely nothing to fear. And again, for most of us as Western followers of Jesus, that's been true, isn't it? If we do right, we don't really have anything to fear from the government or anyone else, especially even following Jesus. We have nothing to fear if we play by the rules and we, we act a certain way. 
So on the one hand, you know, we have this one possibility, we won't suffer. But then on the other hand, Peter says, here's a second possibility. But even if you should suffer for righteousness. So here's, here's Peter's point. Yeah, we shouldn't have to suffer for doing what's right. But the chances are, we're not, we're not guaranteed a trouble-free life. And so the chances are, I may have to suffer for, for following Jesus or for doing what's right. Let's think back a little bit. Jesus told us this, didn't he? He said a follower of his own followers, he said, you, you're going to have tribulation. In fact, Jesus warned those early followers of his that they would be persecuted and that they would be put on trial and all kinds of things uh, like that in the, in the early days. And of course, that's been continuing since the, the last two millennia. It's been continuing for the followers of Jesus that they have suffered. So two possibilities. We won't suffer, but then that we might. If we do suffer, how do we respond to that? How do I live through that suffering? And so in the next few verses, Peter's really clear, and he's going to give us some helps. So when you're called on to suffer for Christ, and if I might even add, even if you're not called on to suffer for Christ, but you're called on to suffer just as a follower of Jesus, how do I, how do I handle that suffering? How do I tackle it? How do I walk my way through the suffering and be faithful? Well, Peter's going to give us five really clear responses to the suffering that, that this is how he wants us to respond. So let me dive in. Here's the first one. He says, think future with hope. Look at verse 14 again. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. You are blessed. It's the same Greek word that Jesus used when he told us on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So great is your reward. Think future, he says, with hope. If you're in the middle of suffering, don't, don't just put your eyes on the suffering in that moment. Look past the suffering. Look past the suffering to the future. And in the future, you will receive God's blessing. In the future, you will receive reward. In the future, you will be blessed because you have suffered. Now, let me be honest. Let's, let's, let's all be honest, right? That doesn't remove the hurt of suffering. It doesn't, remove, it doesn't remove how painful suffering can be. But what it does do is it gives us hope that fortifies us to remain faithful to Jesus even when we're suffering. So think future with hope. Second thing he says is fight fear with faith. He says in verse 14 again, do not fear them or be intimidated by them. Now, literally what Peter says is this, don't fear what they fear. Don't fear what they fear. That's been translated, don't, don't be intimidated. Don't, don't fear them, don't be intimidated. But it literally says, don't fear what they fear. I wish it had been translated literally because I think, I think Peter's saying, don't fear what people fear. Do you know what people fear? Here's what they fear. They fear dying. They fear death. I think he's saying when you're suffering for righteousness sake, don't be afraid of what everyone is afraid of. Don't be afraid of dying. Don't be afraid of death. 
Now, people want to minimize death. I mean, especially in these days, people say, well, death's no big deal. Especially if you're atheist and you believe that after death, there's absolutely nothing. There's no life after death. Then this is what people say. Well, I didn't know anything before I was born. I mean, I I didn't know a thing, right? I'm not going to know a thing after I'm dead, right? And so death is no big deal. But the, the problem with that thinking is this, that in between being born and dying, I get to live. And I know how wonderful it is to live. And so by the time people who are born have lived, they don't want to die. They don't want to lose their life. In fact, they're scared of losing their life. They're afraid of it. And Peter's telling us, do not be afraid of what other people are afraid of. I don't be afraid of death. Woody Allen was honest when he said this, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality through not not dying. And then he goes on to say, I don't want to live in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to live in my apartment. And I'm telling you, that's how most people feel. That's how I feel. I don't want to die. And uh, Peter says, don't be afraid of that. And, And so why? So I'm suffering and I'm suffering for Jesus. And maybe they're going to take my life. Maybe I live in Nigeria where the Fulani are killing Christians all the time. And I'm afraid of dying because I don't want to be killed. I don't want to die. So Peter says, listen, here's how you, here's how you endure suffering. You're not afraid of what they're afraid. And why are we not afraid? Let's go back to the very beginning of Peter's letter. We're not afraid because there lies ahead in our future resurrection unto immortality. There is in our future, God is going to give us life, our life back, and he's going to give it back in the flesh, and he's going to give it back in a renewed flesh, and it's going to last forever, and I'll never die again. And so Peter says, don't be afraid of what they're afraid because, because you have faith, and your faith is in Jesus who conquered death, and you too will conquer death. Here's the third thing he says, when you're suffering, exalt Jesus in your heart. Verse 15, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Some translators say sanctify. Some say set apart instead of regard. The New Living Translation says of this phrase, you must worship Christ as Lord in your life. Here's what Peter is emphasizing when you're suffering. When you're suffering, remember, my life is all about Jesus. My, I, I want to exalt Christ in my life. I want him to be Lord of all in my life. And so therefore, if I'm suffering for Jesus, so be it, because I'm exalting Jesus in my life. He's first. He's on the throne. Chuck Colson commented on uh, the early church and what happened to them. So you could stand up as a, as a Christian in Rome in those early days, and you could say, Jesus is God. And the Romans would clap for you, and they would agree because they would say, there's many gods. And Jesus is just one of those gods. And if you've got your gods, in fact, the, 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 Romans, the Romans had let the Jews kind of have their own thing, right? Because that kept them happy. They had their God. They had, the Romans had their gods. But, G, but, but Christians come along and they didn't say Jesus, they didn't just say Jesus is, is a God. They said Jesus is Lord. And you know what, guys? That's what got them put to death. That's why Paul talks about saying Jesus is Lord. Because you weren't just saying Jesus is a God, you're saying Jesus is the Lord. See, Caesar was the Lord. And for you to say Jesus is Lord, man, you just were bringing down Roman Roman suffering on yourself. And of course, we know they, they many suffered with that. Now, let's fast forward to 2020. 
I mean, it's the same struggle for us today, but it's not, it's not Caesar who wants to be Lord. It wasn't even Caesar back then. You know who it is that wants to be Lord of your life, right? It's you. You. And so, and so Peter says, how do you deal with sufferings coming your way? Well, you exalt Jesus as Lord. You declare to yourself, first and foremost, Jesus is Lord. And if I'm suffering, I suffer for him and it'll be all right because Jesus is Lord. And I've exalted him as Lord in my life. I've set him apart as, as Lord in my life. And I'm telling you, that is how martyrs did it. That's how they've done it throughout the ages. How have they been able to lay down their lives? Because they've said, Jimmy's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so if my life is required for him to be Lord of my life, then so be it. Thomas, uh, Thomas Hawks was an English Protestant martyr. And, uh, and he had to suffer. You know, he suffered death. And he suffered a horrific, horrific death. He was burned at the stake by the Catholics. And, uh, and he, anyway, he was, I've, I've told you this story before, but he was tied to the post. And he had this, he had this prearranged sign and the prearranged sign to all his friends was, can I endure the suffering of death by fire? Can I endure it for Jesus, right? And he was given the opportunity. He could escape death by just simply denying Jesus as, as you know, or denying his Protestant faith, which he would not do. Anyway, when his, when his hands eventually burned and the ropes burned, he, the preconceived sign was to lift his hands above his head and to clap three times. And that's what he did. We will never really be ready to suffer until Jesus really is Lord. I mean, if we're just playing games, then when suffering comes, it's not, uh, I, hey, I'll only go so far. You have to exalt Jesus as Lord. Here's the next thing Peter says. He says, hey, if suffering comes your way, speak up with confidence. Here's how you endure suffering. You speak up. Verse 15, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is, that is in you. The word translated there, defense, maybe translated answer in your, in your text, but if you're not reading from the CSB. But the Greek word is apologia, from which we get apology. We talked about this in our small group this past week. But Peter doesn't mean that we need to apologize for what we believe. He's saying apologia was a legal defense term in the Greek. And so what he's saying is that we, we have to learn to be able to give a defense for the hope that we have even in the midst of our suffering. Some modern-day apologists that you've heard their names before would be people like C.S. Lewis and, and somebody who died here recently, Ravi Zacharias. And here's one that's alive, William Lane Craig. These are modern-day apologists. And, of course, Zacharias and, and Lewis are, are gone now. They're dead. Uh, uh, Craig still is alive. But here's the deal. Even if they were all three alive, you just don't have them in your back pocket. And you can't, you can't when you have to give an apology for your faith, you can't. I guess you could pull out your phone and say, listen to C.S. Lewis or listen to Ravi. But you know, most of the time you're on your own. And so Peter is saying when you're suffering, you need to learn to be able to give your own defense of the hope that is within you, of this hope that you have, why you're suffering. You need to be telling your, the people causing your suffering, this is why I have this hope. Here's your apologetic, everyone. Here's why you can endure suffering. Because Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death, and he's going to raise you back to life with him forever. And that is your apologetic. That is your defense of the hope that you have within you. 
As Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? That's what we believe. You know, last night uh, I was officiating at a wedding, and, and I hadn't done this in a while, but uh, there was a gentleman serving us our meal, and afterwards I was getting coffee, and, and it was just me and him, and you know what? I gave him a defense of the hope that I have within me. But you know how I started? I hadn't done this in a long time. I talked about my suffering. I talked about, no, not my suffering for Jesus, but just my suffering. I talked about that, and I told him why I had hope for the future. And this is how you and I, when we're suffering, this is how we, we walk through our suffering, by speaking up about our hope, by, being, by giving a defense for our hope. Again, what did I say? Speak up with confidence. That's how you walk through your suffering. That's how your suffering doesn't overwhelm you, by speaking this hope. And then the last thing is conduct yourself, Peter says, with love. Look at verse 16. You do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience. You speak up with gentleness and reverence. I guess I could have included that in the last part, but it fits with this one. Keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. We give our apologetic, we give our defense of our faith, why we're willing to suffer for Jesus and not renounce our faith. But notice that Peter says, do it with gentleness and reverence. Actually, the reverence there is with fear. And, and, and I think it's not fear of them, but it's fear of God, wanting to please the Lord, to keep a good conscience before the Lord. We're to love our enemies. And so he says, hey, even when you're suffering, conduct yourself the way Jesus did. Love your enemies in the middle of all of that suffering. Love. Let love permeate your life even when you're suffering at someone's hand and even if you're suffering at their hand for, for Jesus' sake. I'd say even if you're not suffering for Jesus' Jesus' sake, but you're suffering at their hand. You know, love them. Richard Wormbrand, who uh, we probably all know, he's dead now, but he started the Voice of the Martyrs. And you remember he was in prison in Romania by the communists for years, and he was tortured. Eighteen pieces of flesh were cut out of his body. His feet were beaten and broken so many times that when he was finally released, he could hardly walk and walk without shoes for years because of his, his feet. And uh, one time when he was speaking, this is what he said, and I quote him, Dear sisters and brothers, many of you have asked me to speak evil about what was done to me by the communists during my jail time in Romania. I can say nothing about this. I cannot blame the communists because, you see, I am at fault. Now, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that. English wasn't his first language, but he went on. You see, I am at fault because I did not love enough. In other words, he says, uh, here's what he's saying. I don't want to talk about their failure. I want, to I want to talk about mine. I did not love enough. We are weak little Davids, but we are stronger than the Goliath of atheism because God is on our side. The truth belongs to us. God will judge us not according to how much suffering we endured, but how much we could love. So here's what I'm saying to you. What do you do when you're suffering? And if you're suffering for Jesus' sake, man, let the Spirit of God help you love your enemies. Here's Jesus, the one we follow. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you, hear, lo you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Romans 12, 14, this is Paul. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. There's a lot of malicious people in the world, and maybe you might suffer at some of their hands in the future. But 
we can live such loving lives, such loving our enemies, so that they, they know they have no reason for what they're doing to us. And they have no reason for which to slander Jesus uh, because of our lives. A saint is a person who makes it easy to believe in Jesus. Words whisper, actions shout. And then Peter sums all of this up. Look at uh, the, that's verse 18, maybe, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Here's what, here's what Peter tells us. It may be God's will for us to suffer. I don't, I don't you know, uh, and again, this is kind of divides Christians and all. I, I don't necessarily believe that all my suffering is coming because God is making it happen and willing it in that way. But, but I think there is suffering that can come to us because God is willing it to come to you and me because he has a purpose or something that he is seeking to accomplish through my life or through your life. And so your suffering may be at the very hand of God or, or because God is willing for you to suffer so that by your suffering you might accomplish greater things. And, and here's what Peter says, hey guys, don't suffer for doing wrong. Suffer, if you're going to suffer, and it may be the will of God for you to suffer, suffer because you're, you're following Jesus. You're doing what is right. Now, um, so <laughs> we got uh, four more verses. And uh, Peter, I don't think, is finished talking about suffering. And he's going to remind us of Jesus' suffering in verses 18 through 22. But as I begin verses 18 through 22, I want to tell you that this is considered to be the hardest passage in uh, the New Testament to understand with any clarity. In fact, uh, Martin Luther said when he got to this passage, I don't know what this means. And so I want to say to you this morning, I'm going to offer you an idea of what this passage means. In fact, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you the three major views of what this passage, people think this passage means. But I'm going to tell you, I, uh, I've come to affirm one of them, but uh, I do so with not a great deal of certainty. So remember, Peter's talking about handling suffering. That's the subject, okay? And he's talking about handling suffering, and he continues with that in the next verse. And so in verse 18, he illustrates suffering for righteousness' sake through Jesus. And so he says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. And so Peter says a number of things about Jesus suffering for righteousness' sake. He says he suffered for all of us. And indeed, Jesus suffered death. He suffered painfully dying, but he suffered death for all of us. He died for me. He died for you. He suffered as a righteous man for the unrighteousness, or for the unrighteous. So in other words, he suffered, he suffered as a righteous man, a man. And by the way, guys, this is, this is why Jesus can atone for our sins, because he was fully righteous without sin. And so the, uh, the righteous one suffers for the unrighteousness of Jimmy and for your unrighteousness as well. Peter says that, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he suffered to bring us to God. And so the reason why, see, death is going to separate us from God. Um, Yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Death is going to separate us from God. Jesus died so that we can actually have life with God forever. So he suffered to bring us to God. 
So notice Jesus suffered death so that we could one day overcome death and live again. He suffered so we could live in his kingdom with him. So let me go back to reading the text again. He was put to death in the flesh, and Jesus was put to death in his humanity, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. All right, what does that mean, all right? And this is where interpretations just veer all over the place. But I'm going to share with you three primary ones, and they're nuanced by different people. But uh, here's the first way of understanding that. People say that between the death of Jesus and his resurrection, Jesus as a spirit went to Hades, and all the spirits of, of people without faith were there in Hades, and he went and preached there to the spirits of the men and women who had died prior to Noah or during Noah's day. And uh, he either preached, here's a nuance, he either preached the gospel to them so that they might be saved, or he preached to them that he had had victory over sin and they missed the boat. You know, when I wrote that, that wasn't meant to be a pun, but you know, it's kind of a pun. They missed the boat. You get it? They missed the ark, right? So, uh, so he was preaching there, if you would, to tell them they, they missed the boat. And now there's, there's a few problems with this viewpoint. Let me tell you what they might be or what you might have already seen. So one of the problems is if this is teaching us that people can be saved after they've died, this is the only place that it teaches that. And so to build a doctrine that Jesus went to preach to people so they could be saved after they had died, it's probably not the wisest of things to do. Here's another problem, I think. If Jesus is merely proclaiming his victory over death and that they missed the boat, then that's sort of like, what's the point? Is Jesus just going to gloat over them? I mean, there are already spirits suffering somewhere, right? And so they already know they missed the boat. So is he going just to gloat over them? That doesn't seem all that feasible either. Um, why? Here's a third problem. Why is Jesus just preaching to the contemporaries of Noah? You know, there's a lot of people that have died after Noah all the way to this point, not to, count, not to talk about all the people that died since Jesus uh, was on the earth. Why is Jesus just preaching to the contemporaries of Noah? That's another problem. But the fourth problem is the biggest in my mind, is how does this have anything to do with the suffering theme that Peter is developing? How is this helping the sufferers in Peter's day? What is he saying? Because he's trying to help them. He's trying to tell them, when you suffer, here's how you deal with it. And remember, Jesus suffered like you, the righteous for the unrighteous. So how does this help illustrate that? But that's, that's one way people have viewed this text. Another one they've said, people have said, is that Jesus went and preached in between his death and his resurrection. He went and preached to the spirits in prison. And spirits here doesn't mean people because um, spirits is probably never a term really used of people in this, in this sense. So it's really he went and preached to disobedient angels. So in between Jesus dying and resurrecting, he went and preached to angels. And uh, he went and preached to the angels that were at work prior to the flood, the Noahic flood. If you'll remember back in the early verses in Genesis, there's another controversial passage there about the sons of God 
having sex with the sons of men. And some people think those are angels that are having sex with men. Others think there's another interpretation of that. But, but people who hold to that usually tend to say, well, this is Jesus going to preach to those spirits who did that atrocious thing back in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 5, I think it is. So, um, again, there's some problems with this. For instance, if, if Jesus is preaching to those angels, what's the purpose? Is he preaching for them to be saved? And there's no sense in which angels are ever saved in the Bible. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 says that salvation, or eternal life, has to do with us as mortal creatures, as, as human creatures. Jude chapter 6 says that disobedient, disobedient angels are kept in everlasting chains awaiting judgment. So there doesn't doesn't seem to be redemption for the angels. But even if it's not about redemption, so what's the point then again with regard to just proclaiming victory to those particular angels? Why would Jesus do that? But then again, the biggest problem for me is if you're going to understand the verses in that way, what does it have to do with suffering? How is it illustrating that you are blessed if you suffer for Jesus' sake? So that doesn't fit either in my mind. I previously leaned towards Jesus going and proclaiming victory to people back in Noah's day, but I no longer hold to that. So I want to share with you what I, uh, what I believe the text is saying. And uh, from the onset, I want to tell you that this interpretation has its own problems, okay? And the, the main one is the spirits in prison. That doesn't seem to be a way of speaking about people who are living and who are captured by their, their unbelief or whatever. But I'm going to suggest that's what it is. So let's go back to the, to the theme of the day uh, that Peter is, is developing here. He's developing the idea... When you suffer for righteous sake, I mean, how do you deal with that? Why, why should you endure when you're suffering? That seems to be uh, the theme. And I think that what Peter is teaching here kind of actually fits in that flow. So um, here's how this interpretation goes. Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, but so did Noah. The scriptures declare that Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. And so during the time that he's building the ark, he's being ridiculed. He's being made fun of. He's most likely being ostracized. But the Bible says that during that 120 years, he's preaching righteousness to uh, the people of his day. Um, Day after day, month after month, for year after year, for 120 years, Noah and his family built this large boat that would have made no sense. There's no rain prior to this. He would have been ridiculed, etc. So I want to suggest to you that who Peter's talking about here is he's talking about Noah. And he's talking about Jesus preaching through the person of the Holy Spirit, through the person of Noah. And so Noah is preaching to his own contemporaries in that day. And even though he's preaching to his contemporaries in that day, only eight people would believe. And only eight people would be rescued from the flood through the water. So let's go walk back through the verses and let me see if I can walk you through them, how this interpret. I didn't make this up, by the way. I, uh, I'm, I'm following what others have said, I, but I think this makes the most sense 
to me. So uh, let me walk you through the verses. Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By the way, some of your translations may say in the Spirit if you're not reading a CSB. Um, So this is part of the problem with this text. Depending on the translators, they can translate, he was made alive in the Spirit, right? Which would assume his spirit was dead at some point, which most Western Christians don't believe the spirit can ever die. But, uh, but it can also be translated by the Spirit. So I think by the Spirit is probably the better translation. He was put to death. Jesus was put to death in the flesh as a person, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus was, was made alive by the Holy Spirit. If we go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, it says, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of that, of this. So verse 19 then continues, in which he also went. Here we have it again in verse 19. Verse 19 can be translated by which or in which. Either one, right? I kind of like by which because it fits with what I'm telling you. But in which he, that is Jesus, also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Let me read that again and, and just add some words. In which Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, went and made proclamation to the spirits and to the people of Noah's day through Noah in the past who were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through the water by the ark, in other words. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also preaching through Noah to the people of Noah's day. And Noah's people, or people in Noah's day, they were suppressing the truth and choosing disobedience. I submit to you that I get, I get it. It's hard, but it's hard any way you look at it. But this to me makes the most sense because it supports what Peter's trying to say. And that is that if you suffer for righteousness sake, whether you are Jesus or whether you are Noah, God will deliver you and God will bless you in the end. And I think he's talking about Noah here and Noah preached righteousness, endured suffering, maybe not physical suffering, but at least ridicule suffering and personal emotional suffering. He endured suffering because of his faith in God. And, uh, and though, though he endured the suffering, he was delivered by God through the water. Now, Peter uses this language of Jesus preaching through others. And back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, it says that Christ spoke through the prophets you know, when he begins this letter about the suffering and subsequent glories. And I'm thinking the same thing here. Peter's saying that Jesus preached through Noah, through the person of the Holy Spirit. He preached to them and, uh, and they were delivered by, uh, by the ark through, uh, through the flood. Noah suffered as a preacher of righteousness. Uh, Jesus suffered, but they were delivered by the Lord in spite of their suffering. Now, I, I realize you may not that may not grab you. Maybe, you. maybe it's the spirits in prison. Maybe it's people in prison, you know. But hey, I'm, not, I'm in good company. Luther said he didn't know what it meant. I'm, I'm at least trying to tell you what I think it could mean, right? But I think it means, again, let me just state it again clearly. I think it means Peter is saying, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you're, you're in good company. 
Jesus suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous. And Noah suffered, the righteous man of God, the preacher of righteousness. He suffered, but yet he was delivered because of his faith. Now, the hard text, I wish I could say it was over, but it continues in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the hard part there. Baptism corresponds to this. Corresponds to what in the text, right? What is it that baptism corresponds to? So here's what I think baptism corresponds to. I think it corresponds to Noah's preaching and the building of the ark. Noah suffered for building the ark and preaching. Suffered ridicule, probably isolation, or telling what else. Peter is telling his readers, baptism corresponds, your, your baptism corresponds by faith to Noah's faith in God in building the ark. Why did Noah build an ark for 120 years when there had been no rain? Why did Noah build this huge boat to hold every animal when there was no such thing as a, as a flood that would even make any sense to anyone? Why did he do that? Because he put his faith in what God had told him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What had these people that Peter's writing to, what had they done? They had been baptized. And what had baptism brought on them? It had brought on suffering, much like it does today in the Muslim world. You know, you and I get baptized, and you know what we do? We go out to eat, and we celebrate, and, there's, and it's like we slap each other on the back, and we say how wonderful it is. But you go in many parts of the world, and you get baptized because you put your faith in Jesus, and it costs you everything. It costs your ability to buy down at the market. It may cost you your job. It may cost you imprisonment if you're willing to be baptized and it be known. So I think that what corresponds, baptism, which corresponds to this, that this being Noah's preaching of righteousness and all it cost him, now saves you. Unless you misunderstand and you think that, that Peter's saying, I'm talking about the act of being baptized. He says, I'm not talking about the act, the removal of dirt, getting wet in the water. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we get baptized? Because we believe in Jesus. Jesus. Why do we get baptized? Because we follow Jesus. And you know what? In much of the world that costs you. And I believe that he's saying baptism, which is like the suffering that Noah went through when he put his faith in what God called him to do. It's, what, it's what's going to happen to you. And, 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 and it's not the act of baptism. It, it is the, the appeal of faith to believe in God through the resurrection of Jesus. It's believing in the Lord Jesus. Now, before I, before I finish the text, and, uh, and I'm almost finished, but before I finish, let me just point out a couple of things about baptism. Number one, again, Peter even makes it clear, I'm not talking about the action of getting in the pool and going under the water. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the appeal of your conscience through baptism, which is your cry of faith. It's your cry out to God in faith that you believe and trust in Him. But here's the other thing I just feel compelled to say. But baptism is our calling out to God, evidently, to save us. It, I mean, because it doesn't mean anything in our, in our country. And I don't mean it doesn't mean anything, forgive me. Because it doesn't cost us anything to be baptized, right? 
I think it's just different. Baptism in these, in these countries and in this world where it was, the, it was to be ridiculed and ostracized, it was the cry of faith that I have put my all in Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus for my all. It is an expression of our faith. And here's what I want to say to us. Baptism, we've got to recapture how important that is. We've got to recapture that. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you've thought baptism is just inconsequential and I can do it if I want or whatever, man, you need to repent of that thinking. Baptism is our, evidently our cry out to God in faith. I mean, it's, it's a picture of our cry out to God in faith. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, you should be baptized. If you're listening to me on the live stream and you put your faith in Jesus, you should be baptized. And we should stop not thinking of this as something super important to God, because it obviously is. Baptism, which, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, not, not the act, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus. It is, it is my conscience is I cry out to God in my conscience, God, I believe in you and I want to follow you and I trust you. And Jesus is the reason why you're going to accept me because he, he took my death. But look at what Peter ends with. Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subjected to him. Peter adds this picture of Jesus who's gone into heaven and he's seated there and all power and authority has been given to Jesus. And I couldn't help but think of this, these verses in Daniel. Let me read them to you. This is Daniel 7. This is Daniel centuries before Jesus, pick, painting this visual picture that he had of this very thing that Peter's talking about. Daniel says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He's not coming to earth, everyone. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. This is the ascension of Jesus. He approached the ancient of days, a name for God, and was escorted before the Father. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Man, those people who want to say the kingdom of God has not come, they're wrong. The kingdom of God has come and Jesus is king and he's seated in heaven and we're waiting for the day when Jesus will come back. And if you in a good conscience have put your faith in Jesus in his resurrection and in him as Lord, then you can endure all kinds of suffering even for righteousness' sake. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over time. No, no, I'm over time and I'm finished. I'm just, I want to I end this right. You know, since I'm ending with all this kind of controversial passage that is really unclear and no one knows exactly what Peter meant by that, we try to understand it. Let's not miss the most important part of this talk, which is those early verses from 1 Peter 3, because they tell us so clearly, if you suffer for Jesus, this is how to do it. This is how to walk through it. Don't miss it. Think future with hope if you're in the middle of suffering. Think about what's coming in the future so that you can endure. 
Fight the fear of death. Fight the fear of having to lose everything with faith that God will restore. What did he tell his disciples? I mean, nobody has lost family, land, anything that I'll not restore it a hundredfold to them. Think, fight fear of death and loss with faith. Exalt Jesus in your heart so that he's Lord over all. So that when it comes to suffering, you're willing to say, I am nothing. He is everything. I love him above myself. I'm willing to suffer for him. Exalt him in your heart. Speak up with confidence. Here's how we get through uh, suffering. We just speak up. We speak up. And I remember when I suffered with Shep's death at the beginning, one of the ways that kept me going was I kept speaking up about my confidence in the Lord, my, my thinking future with hope, my fighting the fear of never, of being wrong with faith. And then conduct yourself with love. Love your enemies, everyone. Love those who despitefully use you. Love those who persecute you. Hey, let's be the people of love. Let's be the people who are not like, let's be the people who just, and when it comes to politics, when it comes to different opinions, when it comes to neighbors, when it comes to work associates, we're the people that everyone says, man, I want to love like that guy or like that gal. And then when they say, how can you be so loving when people treat you so wrongly? You say, because it's really Jesus. He lives within me. He's changed me. And I'm living different because of him. Let's conduct ourselves with love. Let's pray. Father, I think of the words of Paul, not of Peter, when he said that we were called to this. We were called to believe and to follow Jesus, but we're also called to suffer alongside him. And we do suffer, Lord. And uh, we suffer things in life, Lord, that have nothing to do with uh, our righteousness or or lack thereof. We just just suffer because we live in a broken and fallen world. But, Lord, sometimes we will suffer for righteousness' sake. And Lord, thank you for this encouragement from Peter. Man, I think about those believers when they were reading this for the first time and and hopefully their hearts were welling up with with faith and they were welling up with, with just this power of God to live lovingly and righteously even in the midst of their suffering and lord i want to pray for us lord if when when and if suffering comes to us for righteousness sake or or whether it's just par and parcel living in a broken world lord that we would respond the way peter has encouraged and admonished us to do we pray this prayer that christ might be exalted and glorified and honored in our life and in our family here we pray this in jesus name Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.